Hey guys, welcome back to the Dr. Joey Munoz Show. Today's episode is an absolutely awesome conversation that I had with a friend of mine, Anthony Coffee. I just learned his last name is actually Coffee. I thought it was Bloom because his social media handle is Train Bloom. Anyways, we talked about a ton of really cool stuff when it comes to training specifically for strength and how to optimize getting stronger on specific movements. So you guys know that a lot of the content that I put out here is pretty basic, talking about general recommendations for strength and hypertrophy, but we really went into some advanced training techniques that you can use to break through strength plateaus on specific exercises. I hope you guys enjoy. Before we get into the episode, if you guys have been really liking the podcast so far, all I ask of you is to rate the podcast on whatever podcast app you're using, hopefully five stars, because hopefully you absolutely love the show. Leave a review. And if you're listening on YouTube, just subscribe and like the video. Thank you and enjoy. What's up, Tony? How are you, man? Thanks for being here today. I'm good, dude. I've got a good little early morning lift in, so I'm feeling good. How about you? I'm doing great, man. I forget. It is kind of the morning for you. It's not that early, right? It's what, 11 a.m.? Almost noon? Yeah. yeah almost it's noon almost morning. noon. Because where, where are you? You're in Florida? Yeah, I'm in Tampa, Florida. So three hours ahead of you. Dude, that time dude, difference gets me all the time. Yeah, I've had to learn with this podcast stuff, trying to schedule stuff with people all over the place. Um, but dude, I've been following you for quite some time right now, man. And I've been extremely impressed with the quality of content that you put on. And I'm really um, honored that you took some time to speak with me here today. Honestly, you're one of the people who's really inspired my content personally, because I've seen how effective you are at delivering um, a simple message. I think that's what you do really well, right? A lot of the content on social media, like gets convoluted and people don't get directly to the point. And I think you do mm. an absolutely fantastic job of that. Remember when I started doing content, probably like two years ago, um, I started following some social media gurus that talk about how to like format your videos and stuff. And some of it was oh, not like the specific, the guys that are how to grow your account. Those yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Or just like, you know, if you're going to capture attention, do this. And then I know you and I connected and you shared with me some video, uh, not some videos, some books that you recommended. I, I looked oh, yeah. into those. Yeah, that was a while back. And then um I really, quote unquote, studied your videos as much as you can study like reels on Instagram. But I really appreciate the work you do, man. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here today. Of course. Dude, isn't that funny? I feel like that's all it comes down to is effective communication. Yeah. Effective communication and hooking at the beginning as well is super important because I know there's a ton of people in our space and the coaching space who actually have really good content, but it takes like 10 seconds to get into it. And yeah. so the, the reviews aren't great. The engagement isn't great because you need a hook at the beginning, but you're absolutely right. It is about effective communication first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I spend like half of my time now and continue learning more about communication, which I started, it was honestly funny because it was more about like bettering relationships, friends, family, romantic. And I was like, dude, this is what the fitness industry is kind of missing right now. It's just effective communication. Like there's so many great coaches, great everything, but mm -hmm. it's just not crossing that barrier to connect that's really all it is it's not i'm you know no one's reinventing the wheel it's just not being communicated at least the right ideas probably aren't being communicated well enough maybe some of the wrong ones are but yeah and one thing i picked up from you that you do extremely well is since the videos are short right it's like one video one idea that's it because i used yeah. to get really um you know i come from an academic background man it's completely mm -hmm. different right like in academics you give as much detail as possible and if you leave out yeah. detail, it's a bad thing. So yeah. when I would talk about a topic, I'm like, well, all these other topics are related and I need to mention them somehow. 
And over time, I've been simplifying it and simplifying it more. And sometimes I think it's a little too simple, but those are the things that people really take away uh, from the most. They're like, oh, this was really helpful. One implementable tip, one video. And you've done that amazingly. That's the hard part. Because I've had, how many videos or ideas that I've had to scratch just because health is probably the most complex, one of the most complex topics yeah. you could talk about. So any one aspect, there's so much nuance to it. So it, it's tricky deciding, okay, what's worth putting in? What's worth taking out? What's important enough? It's a tough game to play. And I've been wrong here and there several times too, where I've left out some important things or I've included things that really didn't need to be, but it's, it's challenging with health. Like health is not yeah. simple. So to make it simple, that's the challenge. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast to be able to talk about these things in a little bit more detail, because yeah. just, I guess the nature of how different types of content are consumed, it's like Instagram just like, doesn't make sense to educate as much you can, but to a limited capacity. And yeah, I, I was talking to my buddy, Adrian, you probably know him, Dr. Adrian Chavez. Oh, yeah. yeah. We follow each other and, on uh, a couple of things. Yeah. Him and I are really close and uh, his like Instagram strategy, he does some education, but it, it made me laugh. He's like, man, people go on Instagram for fun. Just like talk shit, make memes, do funny stuff and you'll grow there. And then just he does have some funny people memes. into your podcast and then you can educate them. I'm like, that's actually really smart. Um, but yeah, man, talking about content, I wanted to ask you, how did you get into the whole content game fitness industry in particular? Um, what's your background? Yeah. I mean, what ultimately I think, dude, I was so resistant into getting into social media because I wanted to, the people who I admired looking from the outside in before I started my own business in fitness was the people like Mike Matthews, like Jeff Nippard, people yeah. who I think executed the educational content. Uh, better than anybody else. Yeah. You know, so I really admired that person. But at the time when I started the fitness industry online, like Instagram, everything else, it was just, I didn't get it. Like the whole world got it. And I just, for some reason, just didn't get it. I was like, it's all just shirtless selfies, girls filming, like it's on my upper body day. And they're filming it from like underneath their freaking butt crack. Like just stuff that didn't make sense. I'm like, none of this makes sense. Or just because someone shredded, they're selling this. That doesn't mean it's at whatever it is. So when I first got into content, I was like, dude, I really want to just see if I can reach and help as many people as I possibly can. Because when I got started in the industry, the hardest part for me initially was telling right from wrong. I, d I didn't know who to trust versus who not to trust. I didn't have that background layer of education first to mm -hmm. be able to see through and say like, okay, this person's full of it. This person's not. And I think that's where a lot of the average person, people that aren't in fitness, 98% of the population, they don't know, they don't have that background knowledge. So they don't know who to trust. You know, some yeah. of the most, you could quack jobs, you could pull out of a hat, seem trustworthy because if you don't have that background knowledge, you have no one to compare it to. So when I initially had started social media, it was at push of a couple of friends when I was starting my training business, I think it was like early 20, no, it wasn't COVID 2020, it was 2019. It was pre-COVID. And I was just going to do it more grassroots, more organically. I was doing public speaking events through different corporations, things like that, speaking at health fairs because I'd been in the industry for, I think, six, seven years by then. And I liked that, but I realized that my ultimate goal was to reach and positively impact as many people possible. Like that was just my North Star. Yeah. Like that was the one goal and then, you know, all the different things fell underneath it. But that was my one goal. And I was like, dude, if I need to do that, I need to get on social media. But yeah. I was so resistant to it at the time, because at the time, if you were in fitness, it's like you were taking your shirt off, you're, all the stuff that was all about vanity that I did not care for at all. 
right? That completely turned me off. So when I got into it, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start making a profile that, you know, what if it was just made for the consumer, the person on the other end, not selling them anything, not, not treat like lying to them, deceiving anything like that. What if it was just made for one purpose and that was to help the other person on the other end? So that's what ultimately got me into it. And it definitely was a long game strategy because obviously there's some, some ways if you bend your morals that you could grow faster, I think. Yeah. And we've seen some pretty bigger like names do that very quick. If you, you know, want to, <laughs> I don't want to name drop, but the, we'll say Liver King because that's not even name dropping, but sure. just people do that. But the people like that, right? Yeah. You can cross your morals and grow really quickly if you want to, but I wanted to do the long game the education first, which is really hard doing on a platform like Instagram because your attention span is this big on Instagram. So that was the ultimate goal and kind of why I got into it is I wanted to say, okay, how can I make fitness more educational on the platform? I guess that might've been a roundabout answer, but that's why I started <laughs> on, on, on social. Yeah, dude. And how did you, how did you become passionate about fitness in the first place? I mean, uh, I think we were messaged about this the other day a little bit. It was, you know, I played high school sports, sports really my entire life. So I was in and out of the gym here and there. But when I was, was 18, 19, it was a, in my third semester of college. I think it was right before finals. And some weird stuff started happening to my health when I was supposed to be saying like I, my vision started going ridiculously blurry. Uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you like blink a couple of times because you're, you're not seeing. Dude, I'm pretty much blind. I have contacts on. So that's me all the time. Okay. So you even know. So usually it's like I'm blinking to do it, but my vision all of a sudden I couldn't, it wouldn't clear, you know, okay. to the point where if I was driving, I couldn't read the street sign if I was stopped at a red light, which I was always 2020. So that to me quickly onset, I was like, that's a little weird. My fatigue was insane. You know, couldn't make it through the day without needing to take a nap or two there or just overdosing caffeine. And just some weird stuff started, like my health just started really going down. I lost like 20, 30 pounds in a couple of weeks. And I was like, something has got to be up. So I went to the doctor, got diagnosed with type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. They're like, they're like, how did you not know that? I have like an aunt and uncle both that are diabetics. And they're like, did you not think about this at all? I'm like, no, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> but the, the tracking and really having to pay attention to specific health metrics and then immediately noticing feedback in a positive or negative way is what kind of got me obsessed with fitness and health. Because before then I had never tracked my food, tracked my macros. I never tracked my workouts. I would just be in and out of the gym. But when I had to track everything because my life depended on it essentially, yeah. and I could see how much of an impact certain things had on my health and how I felt immediately, yeah, it just kind of got me obsessed because it was kind of like all those questions that I had in my head of who to trust or whatever. It became so clear of, you know, how do I navigate this? Yeah. And that's what initially kind of kicked things off. Yeah, that's super cool, man. And so if you don't mind uh, answer maybe shortly, how has fitness then positively impacted your diabetes management, for example? Because I know, I don't know, I feel like I educate on a lot of these topics and I've talked several times about like the benefits of resistance training for people with issues with glycemic regulation, right? And how it can be so helpful. But there's nothing better than hearing it directly from somebody who's actually suffering from the condition. So I'd love if you could share share on that for a couple minutes, please. Yeah. Well, okay. That's also side note too is my that's my favorite part about when you see someone who's like non-diabetic preaching for CGMs or or like really going anti-insulin on social yeah. media. And they'll make all these claims, diet soda's gonna spike your insulin, spike your glucose. I'm like, 
I literally don't have a pancreas that functions correctly. I'm like, this is a perfect test. Let me drink a diet coke or whatever it is. But that's another story. No, but I mean, for my health, it was weird at first because weight training initially, since it spikes adrenaline, actually spikes blood glucose. Like it's a ridiculously mm -hmm. high. So it was weird seeing that certain types of exercise where usually like cardio aerobic training would quickly bring it down. So it was difficult for me navigating and figuring out how my body responded to different types of training. But now I weight train about four times per week. And the overall control that it gives my blood glucose and the flexibility is uh, noticeable is not, is a word that's not doing it justice because it is a night and day difference between how better managed and I guess level my blood sugar levels are through the week when I'm on a consistent training routine versus when I'm, if I take a week off on vacation or anything else, just how much more challenging it is to, to manage that. Yeah. And I'm happy you brought that up, man, because, you know, I've worked with individuals who are diabetic before and type one diabetes, type two diabetes, obviously very different, but in general, people who are type two diabetics, I think mm -hmm. some of the main things they think about first is losing weight and, um, you know, perhaps reducing sugar intake, et cetera. And yes, those mm. things have a benefit, but rarely do people think about the benefits of resistance training, right? And I actually made one of the first episodes I made on this podcast was just talking about the actual health benefits of lifting, like from a cardiovascular component, bone health. Oh, it's insane. I see, yeah, because, you know, most of the literature is on cardiovascular health and cardiovascular exercise. Yeah. It's like lifting, I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's better in many ways. <laughs> no, I, well, I'm with you because I'm like, whenever I say, because I used to talk a lot about that too. And people automatically assume because I'm just talking about the benefits of like, oh, where strength might edge out cardio on certain things. Yeah. That I automatically think you should never do cardio ever in your entire life. That's how they see it coming out. But no, it's, it's insane to talk about because I'm with you. If you had to choose one or the other, just from a mm -hmm. longevity and overall health perspective, I think strength training edges cardio out. Yeah. Nine times out of 10. It's, yeah, it's insane. And, and, you know, the way I like to share or talk about this with my clients too, is you can do lifting in a fashion that gives you a great cardiovascular benefit too. And you can't necessarily do the opposite. Right. And so for me, I don't know if you do a ton of regular cardio. I don't, <laughs> I get all my cardio from my lifting and it's in particular, I like superset everything. And I'll do antagonistic mm. muscles so it doesn't interfere with each other. So I'll do like a press and a pull or something like that. And my heart rate is through the roof pretty much the majority of the workout. Yeah. Um, and then I do a good amount of walking at a pretty good pace, but I don't do any regular cardio whatsoever. And my cardiovascular um, biomarkers are perfectly healthy, right? So mm. um, I'm happy that you brought that up, man, because I do wish more people focused on lifting in particular. Um, yeah. So it's funny because you started lifting for your health. And now you're super jacked and super strong. <laughs> you're trying to be, trying to be as strong as you, but no, no, you're get definitely there. way stronger than I am. Don't be humble now. At least on bench, which is what I'm trying to catch up on. That's because that's all I like to focus. Deadlifts, you'll cream me all day freaking long. Dude, so it's funny because I'm naturally talented at all the pulling movements. And I think it's because I swam competitively for two years. And so uh, doing free stroke and I was really good at like butterfly stroke. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. But that's it's pretty the, much, yep, yep. The, okay. No, that's breaststroke, dude. Oh, uh, that's breaststroke. When the hands go over. And uh, okay, okay. yeah, yeah. And it's pretty much all back. And then when I started lifting, which was shortly after I swam, 
dude, I couldn't squat like 90 pounds, but I could do pull-ups <laughs> and like <laughs> just rip out 20 uh, pull-ups. Like, nothing. yeah. And then when I was probably 17 or 18 and keep in mind, man, I'm not genetically gifted for building muscle. I'm six, five and I weigh 220 now. When mm-hmm. I was in high school, I weighed about 160. So I was really skinny. Yeah. Um, but at, when I was 18, maybe weighing around 180, 185, I could rep out 315 on the deadlift. And I still struggled right. with like 135 on on squats. And so I, for some reason, I could just pull stuff really easily. And then I'm not that good at everything else. But yeah. it's funny how how people are genetically gifted at different things, right? Oh, it is funny. Because that's what I think that was what I was proportionately stronger at was bench press so i obviously yeah. played into that I and mean, people just like what they're good at generally so i i played into that a little bit more yeah but, but that's my big thing on the cardio versus strength training too is because i think so many people i don't know many people who love cardio mm-hmm. honestly go to the even extent of just don't hate cardio like like station cardio treadmill stairmaster whatever it is and like you're saying with lifting you can incorporate cardio into your lift that's exactly how i do it because i i cannot stand on a stairmaster for more than five minutes without losing my freaking mind. So I'll do in some circuit training towards the end with weights. It's so much more enjoyable. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle is with the consistency aspect. They'll think they need to do cardio. They jump on it. They can't do it for more than a few weeks because they hate it and they fall off. Yeah. They fail, they regress and then they restart and they're like, what's wrong? It's like, well, you're yeah. doing something you hate. Like that's what, that's what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The only, car- I will only do cardio if it's outdoors. Because I just like getting outdoors. I like getting some sun because I live in Florida. I know everybody doesn't have that luxury. But yeah, I won't get on a treadmill or a bike. It's just, it's it's very boring. I'm, I think I'm undiagnosed OCD as well. And I like mm. hyper fixate on little things. For example, when I used to swim, I was only good at sprinting. And I was bad at long distance. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason was I would get so hyper focused on counting the laps. So if I was swimming one way, I would be counting one, 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 one. And then mm-hmm. coming back two, two, two the whole time. And it would just like. It was too much. So one of the reasons why I like lifting is because it's like eight reps, 10 reps, and I'm done, you know? You're doing something for 30 seconds max, and you're good. Yeah, exactly. But dude, I really wanted to talk about um, some advanced training techniques because you've been lifting for quite some time. You're well-versed in this area. You've obviously probably have dealt with numerous plateaus in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the content that I put out regarding lifting is very much for the beginner lifter. Mm-hmm. And talking about how to set up a, a basic strength training program, how much volume yeah. you should be doing, et cetera. But inherently, at some point, people either reach a plateau or perhaps their goals become a little bit more specific and they want to get stronger on particular movements. And so I thought maybe we could talk about some advanced training techniques related to perhaps training frequency, volume, things like when to incorporate like drop sets or giant sets, things like that, and how you can use those things strategically to perhaps improve your fitness even further, right? And I think the best place to start is talking about training frequency when it comes to maybe really wanting to blow up a particular lift. Because I know you and I were talking, I think you mentioned you bench how many times per week? I mean, I started doing it. It wasn't, that's how I broke through my bench plateaus when I started bench pressing three days per week, three out of the four training days I had per week. Even though my coach at the time, who he taught me a lot about some new advanced more specific strength techniques, because I always, the, the best way I've ever learned is always through different coaches, mentors, yeah, and things like that. You know, no matter how much I think I know, and I never really spent a ton of time in the competitive strength side of the industry. I was always working with like either bodybuilding physique style coaches. So the training was more or less similar. Yeah. So I reached out to my friend, Joe, you might know him, Joe Stanek. He owns a gym out of Austin, Texas, bigger on so. social. 
I've had might have seen him on social before, but his name, yeah, maybe not the name. But I started working with him because he coaches some of the best powerlifting athletes in the world. I mean, people who are deadlifting, oh, squatting over 700 pounds, bench pressing yeah. in the 500s. I'm like, okay, I want you to teach me how to do this. So yeah, yeah, yeah. he taught me a lot of advanced training techniques, especially when it comes to strength. And that's where he, I think some of his athletes were bench pressing four to five times per week. Yeah. On certain lifts. And that's what really clicked for me is when I stopped thinking of strength training as just lifting heavy weights, lower reps, whatever it is, to like almost, I almost refer to it now as like neurological training to a point. Yes. Just as much as just strength training. Cause I think strength training simplifies it too much. It's, it really is more neurological than anything else. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I love that you brought that up because one of the things that I really like to tell my clients when, I ask my clients, what are your goals up front, right? And a lot of people are like, I want to get stronger. And what they really mean is like, they want to build muscle, right? And yeah. then when we talk about what the difference between muscle and strength is like, yes, they're related, but they're slightly different. Mm. Strength is a skill, right? You are expressing strength through a particular movement, right? Because you can do a, a wide variety of exercises and you can get pretty strong on all of them. Yeah. And that is, I guess, one way of defining, are you strong? But mm -hmm. I think most commonly people talk about it with a specific movement, right? And that does become a skill in and of itself. And it's yeah. like the example I like to use is basketball players will shoot hundreds of free throws every day, right? Mm -hmm. They're perhaps not practicing at 100% intensity, but they're practicing at a lower intensity and they're practicing the skill. So yeah. your nervous system has to learn how to do the movement properly, more efficiently, how to, how to handle heavy loads frequently, how to maximally contract muscles explosively. and um, I. Those, how do, how do I put this? Those skills, I think, all benefit from practicing them more frequently, yeah. right? Are you tired of spending countless hours grocery shopping, cooking, and preparing your meals? I get it. Time is precious, and that's where Icon Meals comes into play. I've partnered with Icon Meals to bring you delicious, macro-friendly, and high-protein meals that will make it easier than ever for you to achieve your fitness goals. I understand that you may have hesitations over the cost of a meal prep service compared to cooking food at home. But let's face it, how often do you spend more money eating out because you didn't have time to prepare your food at home anyways? With Icon Meals, you not only save time, but you invest in your health. These meals are carefully crafted to be healthier and more in line with your fitness goals than most of the food that you eat out anyways. So why wait? Visit iconmeals.com and explore their wide array of mouth-watering meals. And as a special bonus for listening to this podcast, use code JOSEPH10 at checkout for a special discount off of your order. By the way, you can find all of the necessary links in the description of this podcast. Don't let time be a barrier to your success. Choose Icon Meals and fuel your journey towards a healthier, fitter you. People never think about lifting weights as something you need to practice, but that's why frequency is so important. Like frequency from that standpoint is huge. Like if you do want to get stronger, because that's my favorite part about strength too. And obviously this is me biased because it's been more of my training over the last year, but it's one of those goals that I started doing it more from like a longevity standpoint. You know, I, like one of my main things is I just look at the big metrics that determine overall lifespan. Yeah. Your sleep, your daily movement, strength, cardio health, stuff like that. And it, it's funny because usually those things align with a very positive physique on top of that. Of course. And so strength was a little bit more of a focus. And that's where, I mean, when I would tell people I was bench pressing three days per week, I would get just like the most confused looks in the world. Yeah. And it's because they didn't even ask like the next question is, well, okay, like how hard were you training? They didn't know one of the training days I was working like 
50% of the normal weight, nowhere close to failure using things like tempo lifts. The other day I was working semi-close to, I was only really working super close to failure one day per week. Yeah. And the rest of it was practice or using like things like back offsets, you know, just to get a little extra volume, but then also just practice the movement, strengthen that neurological connection, which is yeah. what's going to make you stronger over time. Because I think, and a lot of people, I feel like I noticed because we are right, when people say I want to get stronger, they want to build muscle. But I do think people feel confidence and I think a, a lot of power when it comes to seeing their body just be capable of doing some cool stuff. It you is. You know, like if, you're, if you've got big like body capabilities, like it can, you can lift off a ton of weight from the ground, whatever it is. I think people, that makes people feel great in their training, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that was, I, you know, I started in the fitness industry, I guess, or my fitness journey, focusing more on bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. And then I started going to a powerlifting specific gym and I loved it. I was all about powerlifting because it was so mm -hmm. cool to see yourself get stronger on a weekly basis. Yeah. And the question of, am I getting bigger? Am I building muscles? Pretty subjective, right? You don't see the progress week to week. And so that was really empowering about lifting heavy stuff frequently. And now I'm back to the bodybuilding stuff because I just enjoy it more and it mm -hmm. feels better on my body. Dude, my workout used to be, and this was like when I didn't know much and I was mm -hmm. following like a uh, five, three, one and five by five and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Yeah. And my lower body workout for a couple of years, twice a week was five by five squat, five by five deadlift, go home. <laughs> <laughs> just typical power. Lift. Okay. Dude, I love it. It was horrible. But you know, when you're Brutal. 19 years old, 20 years old, it's, it's, you can recover from that fine. I would not be able to. Yeah, when you're younger, your yeah. body bounces back quick. Now I'm like, oh, that just, like, I can feel my back a little bit just. And these were like, each set was like RP nine or 10 would take me six, seven minutes to recover between sets. So the workout would take at least an hour and a half, but it was fun. And there was a ton of people in this gym doing the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. So it was more of a community thing as well. Um, but yeah, man, so to ask you directly with those, with higher frequencies, right? And you're undulating the intensity on each of the days where maybe one of the days you train pretty freaking hard. One mm. of the days maybe is a volume day where you're doing, uh, you know, less intensity, but more overall work than maybe one day is like a speed day or a technique day. Mm. What do you think are some of the benefits or what are some of the benefits that you've experienced from having those lower intensity days? How does that contribute to actually improving strength overall? Yeah, I mean, I, I can think of it improving in two ways. I think one is something that you actually even just kind of touched on a little bit. My body recovers much better when I'm not training at very high intensities every mm -hmm. set through every workout. And, and that's something that I had to take a long time, especially when it comes into, I mean, honestly, one of the biggest advanced strength training techniques, I think, is taking into account your individual recovery profile, if we yeah. want to call it that. I, it was so long for me because I kept trying to do these five days, some six day splits in my body. Yeah. I would always have these just overuse injuries popping up my back, my knees, anything else. And it wasn't until I backed down to four days per week. And I still even use some lower intensity work in there where I really started to make optimal progress. And same thing when you're younger, it's like, you always think the more is better, Yeah, you know, and more is better some, you know, until it isn't. So yeah, it's hard to back off and think that you can make more progress doing less, but so one, I think from just a recovery standpoint, because if you're trying to get strong, like if you have a little knee pain or back pain that just kind of hangs on for weeks or months at a time, it just holds you back from actually training with the intensity that you need to grow in the first place. And I didn't notice that, you know, my squats, I'd be squatting for months and not making progress. And it was because really my lower body could handle more weight, but I would never do it because it would always kind of bother my knee. 
So I'd always back yeah. off a little bit. And it's like, okay, well, if you're not training at high intensity. So I think that's really important is to take care of injuries. And then the second piece is, I mean, like I told you, I had hit like a bench press plateau and same thing with squat and deadlift when we were working on it too. And I had zero intentional lower intensity days with, with whatever it was, tempo lifts, pause lifts, but whatever it was, I had zero of them. And it was adding in that more frequent use. And I did, it wasn't even noticing how much stronger I got. I didn't build a significantly, you know, significant more amount of muscle, but I just got so much better at the movements, Ex yeah. especially when it comes to compound movements where you have so much muscle through your entire body, so many different muscle groups that have to work synchronized together to get the weight from one place to another. Bench press is a great example. I was not engaging my lower body and barely yeah. my core at all. Because one, that's the most confusing concept for a lot of people to grasp yeah. is like, what do you mean your legs are involved in your bench press? It's like, yeah. it's, it's tough to explain off the bat, but it helped me when you have lighter weight over your body, you can actually practice engaging the different yeah. parts of your body, engaging your glutes, engaging your quads, engaging your core, because you're not worried about heavy freaking weight falling and hitting you in the face, right? You're comfortable with the weight on you. So you can actually function with that. And that's where, you know, working with a coach, I think is helpful. Because that let me work on one specific cue at a time. Yeah. So for example, when I was learning on how to incorporate my leg drive, I wasn't focused much on where my shoulders were moving as much because that was at a, an okay spot. I wasn't as focused on my core as focused on anything else. I could really focus on driving my legs into the ground. And when I was using lighter weights, I was able to actually feel that without struggling or, or the weight falling on my chest. So I think that's the biggest thing is it just lets you feel the movement how you're supposed to feel it because you can actually pay attention to it rather than just paying attention to not killing yourself with the weight you know <laughs> yeah out. no that's literally that's perfectly articulated it is it it's that exactly right sure there's some neurological adaptation but it's the fact that like you can actually purposefully change things about the movement because yeah and i'm sure you just experienced this too like when you're warming up for an exercise you can feel all the little things that perhaps aren't 100 percent there Right. And like foot foot placement and using the lower body in the squat is such a great example because I'll watch my clients' videos and they're getting started. And it's like every rep, their feet do this and kind of like shake and move all over yeah. the place. It's like, yeah, you're not using your lower body at all and you're super unstable. Like first thing is dig your heels into the floor without your butt coming yeah. off, you know. And it's all those small little cues like keeping your elbows tucked, keeping your back nice and engaged. You can't do all of those. You can't focus on those things when you're focusing on shit, this is really heavyweight, yeah. right? So. You can practice the movement and become way more efficient at it. And that really goes for every single exercise, I'd say. So question for you, if somebody mm. is struggling with making progress in a particular lift, would you, and they really want to get better at that one specific exercise, would you say the number one strategy is to improve or increase the frequency of that movement specifically? I think depending on where their frequency is currently, okay. yes. Just to, I mean, that's probably also just assuming that they're only doing that movement maybe once or twice yeah. a week already. So yeah. maybe not just increasing the frequency on a baseline. If you're doing it once a week, like I, I know, and it's, it's, it's different for the person, like on their recovery profile, I would say like bench press max from what I've learned and worked with myself, clients, my, like my own clients, and then my strength coach before is max frequency for the bench press is like three to four times a week, max. Not saying no less than that ever, but max three to four times a week where squat and deadlift, maybe only two yes. or three times a week, I think is like the max place to do it. So if you're already, let's say like squatting twice a week and your body doesn't like to recover, I guess, from 
much more than that. Yeah. And I think maybe not just increasing frequency, but saying, okay, I'm going to take one of those days intentionally. I'm going to cut my weight in half yeah. or take 30, 40% off the bar so I could really focus on the tempo. I think 100%, that's usually the best thing you can, at least that'll take most intermediate level lifters, yeah. I think, to the next stage. Yeah. For sure. Because I don't, I think that's really what separates, depending on, I guess, what you consider advanced, but that's what I notice separates the yeah. beginners, the intermediates from the advanced is the letting the ego go and saying, okay, I'm going to lighten things up and actually get yeah. better at this thing. Yeah. And it's so interesting, man, because like you mentioned, you know, two days uh, or two or three days of heavy squatting is a lot of work. Like I squat once a week, but like I said, some training for hypertrophy, I just push it near failure every set. And like, yeah. that's a lot for me. And then I'll do heavy leg pressing on my other leg day. Um, yeah. Oftentimes I'll train legs three times per week, but only really do about four sets per session there. It's like all these variables can be manipulated in a thousand different ways, right? I think one of the things you start to learn as you get more advanced is that the stuff isn't rigid or set in stone, right? It's yeah. not three sets of this Monday and Thursday. And it, there's so much flexibility because what you were saying about being able to handle two days of squatting, well, it depends on the intensity and the volume as well, right? Because I've never tried yeah. this, but I know a lot of people that have successfully squatted every day. And the mm. way they do that is by lowering the volume and intensity per session, where maybe they do one or two sets max on each of those days. Most of those days, it's like RPE five, six, maybe seven, yeah. and maybe one of those days, it's a high intensity day. And yeah. you'll see dudes go from like swatting 200 to 400 plus within a couple of months with that type of strategy. And I yeah. think overall, you know, there's manipulation of volume and intensity uh, a number of different ways, but it really does show that strength is a skill. And if you practice it more often, and you're able to manage your recovery, if you can practice it more often, that's likely going to benefit you a ton. Um, and I really want to discern, you know, here, the difference between getting stronger at a movement and hypertrophy, right? Because mm -hmm. just because you get stronger at a movement, like, yes, in theory, you should be building some muscle. But if you're optimizing your training a little bit more with these strategies to, to get, you know, another 5 or 10% boost on your bench, it doesn't necessarily mean you're building a ton more muscle compared to if you had lower frequency for that one lift, but we're including more exercises, right? So yeah. for example, when I train upper body twice a week, I train the bench press one day and the other day is a dumbbell incline press as my main mm -hmm. movement. I would say that if I went from doing that to then just doing normal bench twice a week, I'd probably get a lot stronger on my normal bench. But am I going to build a ton more muscle? Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily argue that because the incline dumbbell press has its own unique benefits, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's really where we start to like tease out, like, how do you train more for strength? How do you train more hy for hypertrophy? Yeah. I'd say for hypertrophy, probably the latter there is better because you're getting yeah. slightly stimuli. It's a, uh, it's definitely super interesting. Um, so aside from frequency, man, I know another thing that's really popular is selecting the appropriate secondary movements that you're going to do. Right. So like mm -hmm. what kind of accessory movements would you pick for your bench? For example, if you're struggling with the bench, I'm sure it's going to be depending on what you're struggling with specifically in the movement. Right. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, those are, that'd be another advanced technique if it is more of a strength focus is to intentionally choose your secondary movements. Yeah. You know, like movements that are very similar or again, assessing the, the exact point in the lift that you are mm -hmm. stuck at. Like I know a lot of the common sticking points, but a lot of the common accessories I like to add in for like, let's say bench press, for example. One of my new favorites is like weighted dips or what's the, the technical term for this? It's like a cable crossover I know there's a specific name for this, but I'm, I'm kind of spacing the exact movement, but taking the spot that you're stuck in the movement and then working on specific movements that also benefit that. Yeah. Right. So if you're stuck in at the bottom of a yeah. bench press, 
that's why I think dips really, and especially weighted dips, if you're able to do so, offers a unique benefit because you're really practicing that low tucked in kind of position. Like you're exactly in, you're in a bench press, even yeah. though I think most people see dips as a tricep exercise, even though yeah. it's typically the secondary mover too. Um, so I think being more intentional in those small things can go a long way. Like I know, yeah. for example, adding in movements, if I got really into hip thrust for a while and then I just. Were you watching like, a Matt Ogus? No. Oh, does he do that a lot? I don't, I, I'm familiar with the name, but I don't think I follow him. No, he was, oh, he's still on social media, but like OG YouTube guy. And mm -hmm. he would, he was popular for like uh, glute thrusting, like 600 plus for reps and stuff like that. But anyways, to oh continue. <laughs> yeah, but like smaller things like the 45 hypers or, or working the same movement yeah. patterns, but in different ways where you can really isolate and, and honestly kind of just the same thing, practice in a different way yeah without that kind of movement so i think that's for again though that's why like i think one of the biggest things that so many people i think miss is clearly defining what their goal is because if you don't this is more specifically on improving strength breaking through strength plateaus which can also overlap with hypertrophy goals of course Because, like you said you know you can get stronger without necessarily building muscle you could just get better at using that muscle per se but overall i think strength training deserves at least in part in hypertrophy training programs, because certainly if you're not getting stronger, you're going to have a hard time implying progressive overload in many different ways, which yeah. can still happen in a lot of different ways. But that's why I think including some sort of strength is always important. Yeah. So adding in secondary movements, I think it's just more taking the time to do so, not just rounding out the body part or parts that you're working that day, which I think a lot of people see it. You know, it's a push day. So I'm just going to throw in after I do my bench press. I'm going to throw in a couple, you know, so maybe some chest flies, whatever, just pick some random pushing movements yeah. or same thing with lower body. It's, I guess it's just being more intentional with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And from a hypertrophy perspective, you don't have to be that intentional, right? Actually having more variety and training things from different angles is probably ideal. And then with strength, you're absolutely right. Being intentional about it and picking movements that mimic where you struggle with the exercise, right? Like for example, most people struggle with a deadlift off the floor and mm -hmm. if they can get it off the floor, they can lock it out. I'm the complete opposite. I can get it off the floor pretty much always because I, I lift very explosively. So mm. I put a ton of force into the floor when I'm lifting it up. And it's almost like when I get right above the knee that I might get stuck and can't push my hips through. Really? Okay. Yeah. So not that I'm doing them currently because I am not training for strength, but something like rack pulls transfers really well for me because I'm just practicing yeah. that upper end range of the movement, you know, for somebody on the bench who lacks tightness at the bottom, maybe like a spoto press where you actually stop mm. an inch above your chest and you hold that for a second or two people who struggle off the chest doing long pauses, right? Yeah. Um, it's funny, man, because the only like bench accessory I've ever done is close grip bench. And my mm. close grip bench is like almost stronger than my normal bench. I don't even know why. That's impressive. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, yeah, but it's not good. I wish I could just bench more regularly. <laughs> I feel that. No, really, again, like taking part, because people usually see rack pull as a, I mean, that's a common one where people see it as like a waste of an exercise. But I think that's also because a lot of people see things as, I hate the word optimal now, but they look at it from what is the optimal point of view from like a hypertrophy standpoint. And honestly, more specifically yes. lately, they even see that as what recruits the most amount of muscle that you're trying to target, which doesn't also translate to hypertrophy all the time, which is just... I don't know. You know, I'm big on communication. So people that misuse words, I'm like, hey, 
this isn't what that word actually means. Yeah. But doing things yeah, that it, are partial where rack pulls, yeah, it's only the top part of the lift, even though only what, four, six inches sometimes. Yeah. But if that's where you're stucking, I bet that transferred so much better than doing anything else, doing RDLs, doing leg press, doing anything you could think of. Yeah, man. And the, you know, the word optimal, like you mentioned, should be optimal for what? And then that for what is specific to what you're trying to accomplish, right? Exactly. Um, because yeah, there you would say that in that situation that the rack pull can be an optimal movement for that particular goal. For hypertrophy, yeah, yeah it's not. You're not stretching the muscle under tension. You're creating a ton of fatigue because it's super heavy. It's not going to be optimal from that perspective. So, yeah. you know, we've been talking a ton about strength. And I know that's uh, been your primary focus with your bench specifically. The rest of your training, is it still mainly strength focused? Do you focus at all on hypertrophy? Kind of a mix of both. Give me a little more detail there. I mean, at the point I'm at now, because my uh, goals change a lot through life, mm -hmm. I think for most people, from the point I'm at now, I used to do mostly hypertrophy training, but I just generally, I enjoy strength training more and I enjoy bigger, more barbell focused movements, even some Olympic lifting that I'm sprinkling in now. Cool. And I'm not trained. That always blows. I don't know if it blows people's minds. People get confused initially because I don't really have like a body composition goal right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm pretty content with where I'm at. I just want to test my body's abilities in certain ways. So I'm doing, and I'm actually kind of successfully recomping more accidentally, but um, right now, mostly my training is in, it's split up with a full body split focused on bench press, squats, deadlifts, overhead press, getting into some Olympic lifts like cleans, presses, which I just have more fun with for those because it's a little, I don't know, that competitive aspect, I kind of like it. And I, I mean, I don't really isolate the hypertrophy stuff anymore. I don't do arms. I don't think I've done like a bicep curl or tricep extension in like a year or something like that. Yeah. So most of it I'd say is more revolved around strength and just overall intensity, more just because I enjoy it. So I, I notice yeah. I can get myself up. I'm excited to train. I can give it more intensity where I was just, I was on a, it felt like a hamster wheel with the hypertrophy stuff where I wasn't excited. I wasn't progressing, but that's because I didn't put the intensity towards my lifts because I just didn't really want to be doing it. So it's finally yeah. just saying, you know, what, like, what do I actually want to be here for? And that's what most of it's towards now. Dude, it's so funny because I have the exact opposite, like, uh, experience almost where I did strength training for years. I was obsessed with it. And then I was like, man, why do I lift all this heavy shit if I'm always in pain and I don't even look that good? <laughs> yeah. I was now, like, from, from what you said, it did seem like the opposite. Then you swing back to what you want to be doing more hypertrophy based yeah. training, which is funny. Well, I did the hypertrophy stuff at first, but like realistically, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just going to the gym and like lifting weights. When I started getting like serious into lifting was when I started doing the strength focused stuff. Mm. And for me now, it's like, well, I guess I do incorporate a good amount of strength training in my lifting. Usually my first movement is strength training and then I follow that up, that up with hypertrophy movements. And that's just because it feels best for my body. Like I'm not in pain when I used to be in pain pretty frequently with my knees in particular. Mm -hmm. I have extremely flat feet. So doing lower body movements just never came naturally. And mm -hmm. it actually took me years to learn how to do a squat without my heels like coming completely off of the floor. It took me years, dude, like years. I was squatting 315 for like three to five reps. And I used to literally come on my tippy toes doing that, which is not good at all. Um, I just knew no other way. That would um, scare the crap out of me if I saw you with 315 going on your tippy toes. I'd be like, oh my God. Dude, a couple times I had to drop the weight because I fell completely forward. Like just lost my balance. But I would do it in, in, in a squat rack. So they had the same. Oh my gosh. Uh, and you know, fine. talking about dropping the weight and learning uh, proper technique and focusing on things, that was what, what helped me. 
because when I started transitioning into into more hypertrophy stuff, I'm like, man, you know, really doing these deep squats and pausing is probably going to be a little bit better because I can get really good stimulus with mm -hmm. lighter weights. And so I started training with lighter weight and I did pause squats almost exclusively for like two years. And I've always mm -hmm. squatted full range of motion. But it was when I started doing the pause squats that I really learned how to push off of my heels from the hole. Right. Because for me, it was I, I also played basketball for years. And naturally, when you jump, you jump off your tippy toes. I think that yeah. was an aspect of it because oh, I would try totally. to be as explosive as possible out of the hole and I would just come on my tippy toes. Yeah. And it took me so long to learn how to like uh, externally rotate my hips, how to engage my glutes and how to really push strongly through the heel. Mm -hmm. um, so there's obviously a huge benefit of doing the lighter weights there. Um, you were talking about earlier. I know I'm going all over the place here, but mm -hmm. I had a thought with what we were talking about in, in terms of intentionally using lighter loads um, to perhaps uh, modulate recovery. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've been doing in particular the past year, year and a half, that has helped tremendously with my training is not being nearly as structured with my programming and auto-regulating way more. And by auto-regulating, mm -hmm. literally meaning picking the loads in the rep ranges that I want the day of, just like, mm -hmm. do I want to go heavy today or do I want to go for reps? Picking the variation of the movement that I want on that day. Like, do I want to do a normal back squat or a pause squat or a tempo yeah. squat? And picking like the intensity for that day. So the only structure that I have is the general like body parts that I'm going to train on that day and the general movement patterns that I want to do. Mm -hmm. And I mainly started doing that because when, you know, I became a dad, like I just don't have the same amount of energy, like intensity in the gym. Yeah. However, this past year, surprisingly, I've made some of the best gains of my life. And I do think it's because of the auto regulation thing. Like, I'm like, man, I'm just going to keep working out because I enjoy it. But I'm going to go into the gym without any expectations and kind of just push myself when I feel really good. And when I don't feel really good, not push myself and not feel bad about it. Because that's something, too, I'm sure you've experienced with clients. And maybe when you started lifting, it's like you have a bad performance. And it's like, what's going on? I'm losing my gain. It's like, man, it's you're the just end of the world. Yeah. yeah, you're just fatigued. Yeah. You're just tired. Um, so I, I, you know, that whole, like really auto-regulating intensity has been super helpful. And I think that's one tool, obviously it's hard to learn, like right when you, when you get started, but as you start to learn how to interpret the feedback your body gives you using auto-regulation is extremely helpful. Do you use auto-regulation at all in your training? Yeah, actually it's probably the same thing where I've noticed most of my progress. The hard part, I think you're right, is learning how to do it and hold yourself accountable to do it correctly yeah you know i think that's and it's just something that just takes probably years of practice i mean like i said i think this is where most people sit is the first few years especially more male dominant i think too you don't know anything but training to failure and probably to the point where it's breaking down your form one more rep so, bro yeah seriously that's what you're but that's what you you know you're taught in high school sports yeah. whatever it is growing up and that's just what you do but auto, the auto regulation it's huge because it's always like diving back down to like the principles that really are going to determine if you make progress, you know? So I think that can really help if you know what you're doing, you're not going to be cutting different corners and moving things that you're still able to apply progressive overload. You're still probably working in that, um, the RPE range where it's still an effective set, right. depending on whatever you're doing with the weights you're doing. And that day too, still making it in that RPE range because an RPE eight on bench press for three sets of three, could feel different tomorrow than it does feel today and could feel sure. different next week if you got a bad night's sleep, if you're stressed. Or what, you, a hundred different things could go into it. Or maybe you're just having an off day. You know, so learning how to do that, I think is huge. But it, I feel like it just takes 
months and years of intentionally paying attention to that kind of stuff, which is why I'm a big fan of like the RPE scale, even for new individuals going to the gym, because it just forces them to pay attention to how challenging or how much they're challenging themselves. You know, it yeah. might not be perfect, but at least it, it gets them paying attention to the stuff that matters more. And that's where, especially someone like when you're a coach and you understand the different ways to implement progressive overload, you're able to do that while you're applying this, which I think yeah. is huge. It's just, but not, it's, it just takes a little bit of a skill to, to develop. Yeah, totally. So that, that's why, yeah, I, I usually don't talk about this with newer clients because I don't want them to feel like, oh, they can just go easy if they don't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> so that happens a little too frequently, right? So would you say the, the main way you incorporate auto-regulation is by um, uh, changing load, for example, in RPE based off how you're feeling? It'll usually be, I mean, I guess for me, it, it really depends on if it's either load, how close I, like I, I've been really a big fan of working more in rep ranges this last year than just hard rep stops. Mm. And that's something I, te- I try and teach a lot of my even newer clients over time on how to do. Yeah. And not just, you know, what a rep range is of like, okay, if we're going six to eight reps, not just to get to six and drop the weight because, (laughs) but learning, okay, where is my RPEA, whatever the goal is going to be that day and stopping when I hit that. And the rep range just gives you the flexibility to do that. So I think that's a big one too. I've been really intentional just because of years of battling shoulder injuries, especially when I was bench pressing three times a week. I was rarely incorporating any sort of intentional deload in my mm-hmm. training, if it was a load for deload for a week, a volume specific deload, or more honestly, just a specific deload where I'm specifically just choosing bigger movements, but the rest of my training stays the same. So I've been more intentional about incorporating, I'd say more of the specific deloads at least once a month now, mm-hmm. where I take one week lighter, like back off on the bench, back off on the bigger movements, keep the rest of everything good. But I just notice I'm, I don't get those injuries that end up pulling me back for weeks or yeah. more you know, that, that always used to get in my way. Yeah. I've dealt with a ton of injuries and they suck, man. Cause they put you out for months sometimes. Yeah, even uh, those little annoying ones, like the small little, like the back pain where it's like, it doesn't debilitate you, but it puts you at 80, 90% instead of a hundred percent for yeah. months. And that adds up, you know? Yeah, it definitely does. It's funny what you brought up about rep ranges and clients. Like it doesn't mean get to six and stop. Um, I'm sure you've noticed this too. The major rep ranges I'll use like six to eight, eight to 12, 12 mm-hmm. to 15, 15 plus. And I've noticed with clients that are just getting started or clients that don't particularly enjoy training, it's like, I'll prescribe three sets of an exercise, eight to 12, and you'll see them report eight, eight and eight reps, right? It's like, I know you just got there and stopped because you really don't yeah. want to keep going, right? So it's hilarious yeah. that you brought that up. You know, one thing I was, I was asking about the auto-regulating thing, because I, everybody does it slightly differently, you know? And since my goal isn't strength, one of the things that has really helped me is auto-regulating the particular way I'm executing an exercise on that day, or I should say the, the variation of the exercise. And I'll give you some Mm. specific examples. Like one of the things that bothers me often is I have very small wrist joints. Mm. And so when I bench heavy frequently, specifically my left wrist, I have a very hard time keeping it straight, even though I use Mm. wrist wraps. And sometimes just the eccentric feels a little bit odd. I feel my wrist giving up and it doesn't feel good on the technique. And I know I'm just not going to perform well on that day anyways. So I'll do something like a beltless legs up, like no lower body incorporated uh, Mm. bench, right? And it's 100% chest and triceps. But what happens, I have to use like at least 20% less weight. So the wrist doesn't become an issue anymore in that circumstance, you know? And there's days where like I start warming up and it feels amazing. And I'm like, I'm just going to go heavy on this day and push it, Mm. right? 
or days where like my shoulder, dude, I've had so many left shoulder issues. All of my injuries are on my left side. Um, but I messed up my shoulder pretty bad probably when I was around 20 years old when I was doing the powerlifting thing. Um, and that lasted like nine months, like bad pain. Never got it diagnosed. I just like worked mm -hmm. around it and kept lifting. But it flares up every once in a while. And so when I do a wide bench, um, oftentimes it'll flare up. And on that day, I'll just do a close grip bench, you know? Yeah. So, so doing those sorts of variations, having a plethora of variations that you know which one feels good when certain things aren't feeling good is really helpful, right? Like yeah. my, my groin help uh, can hurt often when I do squats and sometimes I won't squat and I'll do a really narrow, deep leg press and still mm. get a great stimulus on the quads. Yeah. And that's been something that's helped me a ton. And I know it's a little bit different from the strength and hypertrophy perspective, but like from building muscle, like it really doesn't matter which exercise you choose as long as you can effectively fatigue the muscle. Right. Yeah. And that's been super, super helpful. Yeah. It's uh, that kind of stuff's big. It kind of reminds me of, and it's one of those things, it's a more challenging aspect to teach a client, I think, to learn how to do that. But it's the perfect thing because I feel like everyone's looking for the perfect plan or the perfect map. You know, it's like, I can follow the map. Just give me the perfect map. But I think so many people, oh, what was his name? I was reading, are you familiar with Shane Parrish of the Farnham Street blog? No. Okay. I think he'd actually, he has a book called The Mental Models. And it's essentially, okay. he, he narrows it down into mental models or I guess modes of thinking that can be applied anywhere else. And one of them that you just reminded me of, it's, it's called, what is it? The map is different than the territory, okay. essentially. And it's the importance of not just having a plan A in place, but having a plan B intentionally set in a plan C. And that's where so many clients can benefit from it because the gist of that saying, like the map is different than the territory is it's, have you ever been camping, for example, like where you yeah. have like hike off trail, go over there. You could have the perfect map of that campsite of how to get there, of where the trail goes, of everything else. But a map is like a very simplified version of real life, essentially. Yeah. And once you actually get out there, the map doesn't have, it's like, okay, what if there was a rainstorm and the trail flooded and now you can't take that trail anymore? Yeah. Or what if a tree fell over here in the campsite and you can't have this? What, whatever it might be, things get in the way of plan A all the time. And I think for clients, especially, I mean, nutritionally, when you're talking to clients, you can have a perfect plan A, but what if your best friend that you haven't seen in 20 years comes in town and wants to go out instead of eat your meal prepped lunch or dinner, whatever it is. Plan A is great, but if you just have a plan A and don't know what to do when that falls off, you're going to end up just missing more times than not, I think. And it's, it's important to have and learn those skills. Like you said, if plan A, like the squat was plan A today, having those, those plan Bs in your head and knowing yeah. when to implement them is probably why you're able to make as much, if not more progress as ever, because if you don't have a plan B every time that you can't squat, which let's say it's 20, 30% of the time, that's 20 to 30% of the time that you're just not doing anything effective to make progress. And for a lot of yeah. people, it's more than that, you know? Yeah. So knowing and learning once you can not just, I guess it, it really is just not being attached to plan A. Cause I think so many people want control, want to know exactly where it is. It's like, you're going to go off path a little bit, but it's okay. As long as you know what to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm so happy you brought that up because that applies to everything, right? Nutrition yeah. as well. Um, and I've I just had this experience with a newer client. And it's really unfortunate when these things happen because oftentimes people just don't give coaching like a, a true, like uh a true effort, I would say, right? 
Yeah. And I started working with a new client. And this experience has happened a couple of times. I'm just referring to this person because it's the most recent time it's happened. But they, they're, you know, their doctor told them that they should probably um, work with a nutritionist. Their doctor knew our company, so he referred him. And mm -hmm. I started working with him. I put together, you know, starting plan based off questionnaires, et cetera. I share with him some videos, talk about what are some of the first things we're going to be talking, we're going to be working on. He's like, oh, this is great, but where is my meal plan? And I said, <laughs> I don't do meal plans. You know, I have sample meals for these reason that, reasons. I yeah. explain why I don't do a meal plan. And I ask them questions like, what are you going to do when inherently you can't follow your meal plan or you go out to eat or you eat something that's not in your meal plan? What do you do in that circumstance? And I told him my, my goal as a coach over the next three months, six months, a year, whatever it may be, is to actually ed educate you on how to navigate these situations. Yeah. And he was sold and he was on board and um i haven't heard from him in a couple of weeks and then i just heard from him yesterday because i've been reaching out to him weekly and he just says i don't think this is for me and mm. it's really unfortunate you know because so many people spin their wheels for years just because they feel like they haven't found the perfect plan that works for them and you need to realize that there is no perfect plan. You need to just learn, like you were talking about, to use the same terms, uh, the map not being, uh, or the map being different than the terrain. You need to learn how to be able to shift the map to get to the same place, right? And be able yeah. to do that almost in real time. And I think that's really the most powerful thing about working with a, a good coach, really. Yeah, because if, yeah, if you don't have the understanding, and that's what I tell everyone, because I do online coaching as well. So on the first, you know, when I first start talking to someone because they want help, if I'm opening a few new slots for clients and I talk to them and we go through goals, it's always, I don't want to say a red flag, but orange flag, yellow flag, whatever you want to call it. When all the goals are either like just aesthetic based or coming from someone else, like a doctor, like they're not curious enough to want to do it themselves or it's it, none of it's about learning about themselves or learning how to do it. Because at the end, I'm always like, is it cool with you? Cause I'm big on the communication aspect just from the jump is I'm like, these are great goals, but honestly, I'm going to tell you like my overarching, like my number one goal for you would be to understand how your body responds to training, to mm -hmm. nutrition, to these things, because, and that's why I tell them usually is I'm like, I don't want you to be my client forever, not a good business plan, but I'm like, if that's my goal, which unfortunately just being in this industry, a lot of online coaches, that is the goal get a client, keep them as long as humanly possible. But it's like, if you're doing that, in my opinion, you're not a very good coach because yeah. you should get that person to the point where they understand how to do this on their own. And yeah. like my goals have changed countless times over the years. Once they get, if they want to lose 20 pounds for a wedding, once they get there, then what? You know, it's like the, I want to lose 20 pounds, then what is always the goal yeah. that you should be asking because your goals are going to change through life. What's going to happen when you get there? If you don't have a next plan, you don't, you don't know how to get there. You're going to regress and fall back to that starting point, which I think you're right, is where most people just end up spinning for years, which is hard too, because it's, it's something that takes empathy because learning new skills and understanding a, a new topic takes a lot of like mental bandwidth. And yeah. if you're busy, if you've got you know, three kids and you're working two jobs and you're this, the thought of having to, because it takes real like mental effort, not, you know, yeah. if you give a person a plan, they're like, I got the physical aspect. I'll go to the gym at five in the morning. I'll eat this. That's easy to them. It's the mental bandwidth that they're like, I just don't have. And that's yeah. what usually is the hard part that I think separates people that ultimately end up making it and lasting yeah. versus the people that either make it and regress or just don't make it at all, which it's, it's tough, yeah. you know, depending on where you're at in life. 
Yeah, I think the mental bandwidth is definitely one aspect of it. And I think another big aspect of it is the sense of like really giving, really being open-minded and giving something else a shot, right? Because you've tried so many things and they haven't worked. And oftentimes when you're going to tell a client that your goal is to educate them, like it doesn't go well with some people, right? Well, dude, it goes against conventional wisdom and what they've been taught yeah. for their entire life. Like the, the funniest part to me is for a lot of individuals when we're going about nutrition, for the first two weeks, all if they're at the place where they're able to, have them just track their nutrition without the intent to change anything. I'm like, if yeah. you would normally eat an entire Domino's pizza and drink a bottle of wine on a Wednesday night, do it. Not just because I'm here, like do it. Like that's going to be better for us because we understand what you've been doing yeah. so far. And then after weeks, it's like, well, the scale's not going down. It's like, because it's not supposed to. Like, that's not our goal right now. Even though you want to lose 20 pounds, like that doesn't mean it's the only goal is scale move down because you got to put the pieces in order first, which is, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around doing, it almost seems like you're going backwards before you go forwards, which is frustrating for some people. Yeah. Dude, honestly, I could talk about this forever, man. But we have to wrap this up. Tony, I appreciate you a ton for taking time to be here, man. If people want to learn more about you, which I encourage everybody listening, please go check out Tony's page. Go check out Tony's podcast because it's absolutely amazing. Can you please share where people can find you and if they want to work with you, how they can inquire to work with you as well? Yeah. uh, On socials, it's at Train Bloom. Bloom like flowers, like B-L-L-O-M, which is not my last name. People think it is my last name. I just like flowers. So that's why I did. I Uh, thought it was your last name. Whenever someone will like send me a package or anything, they'll be like Tony Bloom. Which is my fault because I just put Tony in the little coffee cup next to my name. And my okay. last name's coffee, like the drink. So I just put really? that there. But yeah, so people know what I, I wouldn't even guess that if I didn't know. Uh, podcast is fitness stuff for normal people in parentheses. And then for working and stuff like that, I generally don't take on new clients too, too often. But okay. through the podcast, we've got a, like a little premium version where we have training programs, Q&A, stuff like that too. But that's just part of the show as well. You know, so... All through there, I guess. Pretty basic, those two. 